my parents, I would say, were not um, at all career oriented. So neither of my parents had graduated from college, um, nor had my sisters. And uh, they, you know, were a little bit of the hippie generation. So, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, job and career just wasn't top of mind for them. So financially, you know, we were kind of paycheck to paycheck and then some gaps in between. So we, we moved a bunch. We, I was actually born in North Carolina and we worked our way up the East Coast, eventually landing in Maine. I can remember uh, living in a camper. I can remember living in the basement of a friend's house, um, the attic of a church. Welcome to the Portland, Maine Business Podcast, the place to get ideas, insight, and strategies from professionals who are in the trenches building successful businesses. Here is your host, Shelby Turcott. Hey guys, I am excited to have Mike Simons here today on the podcast. Mike is the COO, the Chief, Chief Operating Officer of Unum. And Unum, for those who don't know, insurance company offering disability life insurance in the Portland, Maine area and beyond. And at this point, Mike, you guys have more than, than 10,000, I believe, employees. Um, huge company. Thank you for coming on. We definitely want to pick your brain today and talk a little bit about leadership and business, business success from your end. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, Shelby. I appreciate you having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so let's start off, Mike. We had chatted a little bit. Uh, we always like to kind of hinge things at first from that, that kind of stepping stone, that starting point that pushes people in the right direction. And you and I had chatted a little bit about kind of your unique upbringing growing up in Maine and whatnot and how you felt like that maybe was what pushed you in this direction from the executive and the leadership side. So maybe you could start off by talking about that a little bit and how that kind of pushed your career, or maybe moved you toward this way? Sure, Shelby. And, you know, I think it's true for a lot of us that we are uh, in many ways a function of where we came from. And I was very fortunate uh, growing up, had a very loving uh, parents. I found myself right in the middle of an older sister and a younger sister. So it is a really um, good situation in terms of the emotional needs that you, that you want met when you're a kid growing up. My parents, I would say, were not um, at all career oriented. So neither of my parents had graduated from college, um, nor had my sisters. And uh, they, you know, were a little bit of the hippie generation. So, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, job and career just wasn't top of mind for them. So financially, you know, we were kind of paycheck to paycheck and then some gaps in between. So we, we moved a bunch. We, I was actually born in North Carolina and we worked our way up the East Coast, eventually landing in Maine. I can remember uh, living in a camper. I can remember living in the basement of a friend's house, um, the attic of a church. Uh, by the time I got to fifth grade, I'd been to six different schools. And so while a lot of the important stuff about a family was, was there, I feel very fortunate. Uh, the stability wasn't. Uh, and it, you know, it doesn't really matter how hard you try. It's hard not to have some of that stress work its way uh, down to kids, even even young kids. So you know, part of who I am, I try to be that same kind of loving um, dad. I'm fortunate to have four boys um, and a great partner uh, and my wife, Ruby. But but it's been like ingrained in me um, to provide that stability and to, to sort of pursue a path where I would, um, you know, put my kids in a spot where uh, kids today have enough to worry about. They don't need to worry about how to pay for school lunch or things like that. So I've all been a, all about 
you know, getting the education, doing the work, um, and having the commitment to be sure that that financial stability and some sense of um, of security is there. And that kind of um, ultimately is what took me to UNA. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think you bring up a good point. And one of the one of the things that I think, at least from my perspective, is I think a lot of times people from the outside don't really think of from the business end of the struggles to get in those positions, right? They think that, you know, executives, it's like everything was, you know, uh, silver spoons and platters and this and that and growing up. And I know a a lot of people in similar scenarios to you that saw business, business success, but really kind of had to grind on that back end um, to get there. So that's huge. Uh, Another point I want to bring up is, you know, you're running a Fortune 500 company, right? You're running a, a huge company, like we said, thousands of employees. You are also, to the point that you just mentioned, you know, you have a, a wife, you have, you know, four kids, um, you're involved in the community, right? You're, you're on organizations like United Way of Greater Portland, Maine Health, American Heart Association. You're involved in all these different avenues, Um and super giving and to the point that you just made, really trying to live like a, a balanced life. What does a typical day look like for you? Because I think, you know, on TV, it seems like, you know, people that are executives are working 120 hours a week, or they're literally, you know, sitting on the beach, sipping, you know, pina coladas and doing nothing <laughs> and just printing money, um, neither of which is usually true. So can you talk a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you? Um, at this point in time, obviously, which, you know, fast forward, you know, uh, many, many years, but talk a little bit about that from a day-to-day standpoint. Sure. So we are in a unique time, Shelby, right? So a a typical day today is different than maybe a typical day a a year ago. One of the, one of the silver linings of a, of just an awful pandemic that we're, we're working our way through, thankfully, is just, um, I'm able to be home, you know, much more. So, our business is, uh, we're, we love um, our base here in Portland. Um, Mainers are an incredible resource. Uh, it's a great place to draw talent. But most of our clients are across the US, the UK, Poland, um, Ireland. And so travel is a big part of the job typically. Uh, today, we are all living in a Zoom world, right? Just like you and I on this call right now. So, you know, I might have 12 or 14 different sessions uh, in the day. They're usually, um, you know, 30 minutes each, maybe an hour. And a big thing for me has been um, putting more time and attention into being deliberate and proactive about how I spend that time. So a couple things for me is I I feel like as a leader, you got to have a critical agenda. And that has to be a short list of things that are the most important to you. And they should line up with what, you know, your biggest aspirations are for the organization that you're leading mixed in with what's important to you um, personally, because I think that's the second piece that I've seen really accelerate and change through the pandemic is not just the sort of physically less travel um, and more remote. The second is, you know, the blending of work and personal. And I think the reality was for many of us, particularly small business owners uh, or entrepreneurs, it would be impossible to kind of separate you know, those various aspects of your life. And I think the rest of us, even in corporate America, are realizing that that's um, a much more constructive way to think about how you allocate um, your time. And it's unrealistic to say I've got 10 hours or 11 or 12 hours a day that is purely this, and then the balance goes purely to that. The reality is it's, uh, it's much more of a blend. 
Yeah, absolutely. I want you to talk for a minute. Uh, you know, you talk about, you know, eight, 10, 14 calls, 30 minutes an hour. How do you decide what you address and handle on a day-to-day basis? I mean, you talk about what's important. Um, you know, a lot of people use the quadrants, right? What's urgent and important versus, you know, so, you know, do you use things like that? Do you literally just go down a checklist? I mean, when you're balancing, again, so many critical decisions, really, how do you go about that on a day-to-day basis versus, you know, you just end up putting out a bunch of fires as, you know, a lot of people like to say where you're kind of reactive versus a little bit more assertive on the leadership end. Yeah. So this is a little tactical. So I apologize if it's too much in the minutia, but this is the reality. It's if you wait for your calendar to fill up, it'll be filled with everybody else's critical agenda. Um, and some of that's fine. Uh, but in generally like, for us, it's we, we have a process in place. We, we will get together and we'll look at the week out calendar and then we'll look at the full month out calendar. And what we're doing there is saying, okay, where's the time allocated against you know what our priorities are? And just, you know, we, we use Outlook. People have different tools that they use. But I would just encourage folks to go out and block time to get done what you need to get done. Proactively schedule the discussions that you need to have to accomplish what those objectives are. Because if you if you wait and you just fall your fall into that reactive mode, um, it's going to be really really hard to get to the things that proactively are most important to you. So that's one. And then the second I would just say is, and it depends on your situation, but um, you know you have to have a really good team. And if you can surround yourself with people, and sometimes that's kind of formal, like, hey, this is my organizational work unit. And sometimes your team, again, is is um, your business partner. It might be your spouse or significant other. You got to have really good people that are smarter than you are. I feel very blessed. That's my situation. And then you got to trust and delegate. That's another big piece of it. Because if you personally have to sign off on everything, make every decision, get into every single issue. You're putting a natural governor on the impact that you can have and the pace at which your organization can grow and succeed. So you really have to, I think, have a humility (laughs) to say, I got people around me that are actually better and I'm going to trust and delegate um, those activities to them. And then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of build leverage and you can build scale with that. Yeah, I think, and that brings up a a interesting and, point i will tell you even like on my end at our size like i said before even with a couple people and a bunch of independent you know uh contractors who handle things um it's very true even at this scale so obviously as you get bigger it becomes even more important talk to me a little bit about business owners on that on that same note so let's say right a lot of small business you mentioned um and even more corporate america right you're tight on time right everybody has the same number of hours in a day but at a smaller level, you know, people that have, you know, solopreneur up to, let's say, like 10 employees, you're, you're low on time, but you're also oftentimes short on resources. Um, how, how do you talk to them? What do you say to them about managing time, kind of budgeting time in terms of what you do? Do you go back to the point you just made about trying to really figure out what is most important? Do you keep looking at those calendars, like you said, and look at a week and a month out and just keep revisiting that? What type of um, advice do you give to those young and or smaller businesses? Hmm. Well, the first thing I say is um, how much I respect people that start up their own company, run, operate, the entrepreneurs out there. They, they are the source of the innovation that grows 
our economy and creates opportunity for us over time. And I personally do not have the risk tolerance. So I'm, I'm a little, uh, a little cautious about giving too many, too much advice to folks that do it, but we do have good fortune. We work with um, about a hundred thousand small employers across the U S that's a big part of what we do, providing benefits to them. And I have the chance to interact on a you know, fairly regular basis. And what strikes me amongst the most successful is this learning orientation. And there's such a temptation, particularly when I can imagine your name is on the shingle. I feel that way about you. I'm 25 years here. I sort of feel very much personally accountable for the brand and the reputation of the firm. And I know that must be magnified tenfold when it's your business. Um, there's a degree of, cautious, of caution that comes in. You want to get things perfect, which this is, you know, there's a balance to be struck here. But the learning orientation says, Hey, there's probably a few decisions that I need to be really cautious because they have long-term implications, but the vast majority of things, I'm much better off making, taking a little bit of risk, trying something, and then learning quickly. And these entrepreneurs I see to be successful is they don't get tied up in trying to get everything perfect and, and planning for it and lining everything up to get it perfectly. Because the reality is until you get it into the market, until you get it in front of customers, until you actually try it in your organization, regardless of size, you're not going to know. So that's a, it's kind of the, the mantra I've seen play out many, many times. It's just progress over perfection. Just get something out there, get it going, learn from it. If it's working, double down on it, triple down on it. If it's not, there's no, there's no pride loss. This was about learning. You've gained something, pull those resources, which might just be your time and put it to work someplace else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, you talk about the, the risk tolerance. And I think oftentimes people on our end, right, at a smaller level, kind of, you know, you're operating, you're doing everything, right? All these hand, different hats you're trying to wear. I think when you look at people on the corporate side, you think about like, you know, uh, senior level, executive leadership type of roles. It seems glamorous, right, to the young business person in terms of like, wow, look at all the accolades. You get to wear this. Um, you get to do that. I think it comes off almost like, uh, I want to run this company. I want to, you know, run this hedge fund. I want to do whatever it is. And it's almost the, I call it a CEO or bust type of mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you've obviously been able to climb the ladder. You were CEO of UNM US at this point, you're COO of the entire company, but you know, we're looking at it on the back end, right? Like you said, you know, we're, we're 25 years later, um, you know, higher level of education, MBA from Harvard, and you're at what some people would consider like the pinnacle from a business standpoint. Um, and I think it's challenging, though, for young, aspiring business people to fill those gaps, right? How do you fill the gaps between, you know, zero and five years, 10 years, 15, 20, and so on and, and so forth? So what type of strategy, what do you say to somebody who has a college degree, maybe they're graduating, maybe they're even, you know, post-business school or whatnot, but who wants to try to climb the corporate ladder. What mm -hmm. type of advice do you give to them, you know, early on um, or as they're trying to climb it, you know, and maybe it's different from zero to five years versus, you know, five to 10 or 15, but, you know, where do you start with them and what do you say? Yeah. So my first job at UNUM was uh, a temporary administrative assistant. So the, my job was to basically back back when people did this with paper was make copies and, and file documents and schedule meetings and all of that and just 
had an opportunity to work in a bunch of different roles and see the business from all kinds of different, you know, you're talking about levels and you know, levels and functions and different, different parts of it. And as I reflect back on it to your question, the things like I, I would tell a young Mike, you know, and, and wish I'd come to quicker, you know, um, where do you find happiness professionally? And very often, I think that's at things that are sort of, you know, you know, things that really get your juices going that are pleasurable. So maybe it's, you know, it's sales and it's winning deals or it's problem solving and you're analytically oriented. It's like sort of migrate to work that's, that's pleasurable and engaging. And then the second piece is purpose. You know, find work that's meaningful to you and that you feel is worthwhile. Um, and for different people, the, the answers are going to be very different. When you flow, I think, to the opportunities inside of a big company or outside of a big company where you're doing work that's that's enjoyable and really piques your, your energy and curiosity and the work is meaningful, I think people do amazing work. And when people do amazing work, it builds on itself and opportunities come over time. So find your joys, number one. The second one, and I say this to people all the time, um, you know, my Mike Simons, there's not much original about how I lead. You know, I'm, I'm a lot, in a lot of ways, I'm a collection of behaviors and skills and capabilities that I just picked up by having good fortune to work with really good leaders inside and outside of Unum. And, and you got to be thoughtful because what you pick and choose needs to be authentic to you and, and who you are. But working with really high quality leaders has been so substantively sort of transformational for me personally so i always say that to people when they're thinking about you know roles they might take within a company or go to this company or go to that organization i think you got to think about all kinds of things you're going to think about like where the job is and what's the work you're going to do every day and what's the compensation like that's a good thing to know um, but somewhere on that list should be who are the leaders i'm going to be working with most closely and wherever you have that on your list and everybody's list is going to be a little different just bump that up a couple of spots particularly early in your career uh, because the learning is, is so um, is so important to the trajectory that you're going to be on going forward. So find your joy and find good leaders that you can work with that you're going to learn from. Does your advice change if you're talking with a small business owner? You start talking with somebody who says, hey, I've got one employee, I've got two employees, I've got 10 um, I'm looking 25 years out. I want to be like this business, right? Especially nowadays with social media, right? Everybody thinks they're building a multi-billion dollar company that they're going to exit from and, and, you know, change the world. What, what type of advice do you give to them in terms of like trying to grow that business, right? Starting out small, because you've even seen it on the corporate side, right? Like you guys have been growing, um, so what type of advice do you give to those small business owners? Does that change or do you go back to the exact same thing? Find the joy, find good leaders. Yeah, I, I think in some respects, like the, the first one comes a little more naturally and easier, right? And I think about your business and all the success that you've had, Shelby, I think at, at the core, and I don't want to speak for you, but is, you know, a real passion and interest in the work and helping people live healthier, more productive lifestyles and so that's that's really meaningful for you and you're good at it and so it comes naturally and you sort of that success builds and frankly you would not have migrated to that as a business if that weren't true so in some respects the entrepreneur 
is kind of more naturally drawn to that kind of work that it's going to be hard. It's going to be gut wrenching, but there's real joy because of the purpose and then, and the activity itself being a good fit. Second part is tougher, right? So I can, I can um, find my way to, to working with leaders on a day-to-day basis that I can, that I can learn from um, very readily. It's a big company. It's a big organization. We have lots of partners, people that want to meet with us all the time. I've got great clients that I can learn from. It, it it's, can be a little bit more lonely when you're part of a small organization and, and the kind of the, you're the entrepreneur, you're the leader of that group. And so I think that's where you, that's where that personal network and what I've seen work really well is there's absolutely the professional relationships, but it's the community relationships, you know, that I really do truly believe small businesses are kind of the engine behind the broader, the economy and the broader community. So those relationships that you can build in work, that sort of, helping the community advance and for the common good, finding people that are going to uh, take an interest in you that are, that have been down the path in the past, finding those mentors um, and finding people that are going to tell you the truth. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to find. Like you can probably find people that are going to be nice, but you, you, pr- you want people that are going to be nice, but are also going to be honest and help, you know, kind of be that mirror to help you figure out, you know, where can you get better? Cause we've all got opportunities to get better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I will tell you from my end, the same thing. I think to your point, seeking out leadership has been something that, you know, you start to realize once you get a little bit further along. And I, similar to what you just said, have been very fortunate that I've had a lot of just personal and professional relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, Some I've sought out a little bit more, but a lot where people have just been very generous to me. And that's kind of why we're in this position is, you know, just trying to help help you navigate and, and learning. And again, to your point earlier, learning quickly, learning from other people in other industries, and then being able to kind of use that to move yourself forward. I, I can tell you personally, that's been huge um, on my end. Now, on the, on the leadership note and the small business trying to merge the two, I said to you, I joked with you earlier, I find it challenging to manage, you know, really a team of like five to seven, including people we use, you know, independently for, you know, graphics and social media stuff and things like that. Right. Unum has over 10,000 employees, right? And you're, you're sitting up there at the, the top of the totem pole. Talk to me a little bit at the most basic level, because I'm sure it's a little bit more complicated, but at the most basic level, how do you approach leadership? to ensure that everyone is on the same page, right? Like Mm -hmm. for me, it's a whole lot easier with branding. I can, even if I put trust in somebody, I can kind of have my hands in everything if needed. Yeah. Not going to happen with 10,000 people. So what do you do? Is it literally what you said earlier where you kind of, you know, you, you try to hire really good people, you put the trust in them, you move on. What types of strategies do you guys use to keep that, that continuity um, with a business of this size? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, for me, it starts with values. You know, that's probably the biggest impact that I can have on the firm is taking values, which I, you know, I think every organization sort of thinks with, thinks about their values and maybe even puts them on a piece of paper at some point in time. You know, for me, you really have to think of values as, as not a noun. You got to think about it as a verb, you know, to think of it as action, you know, so you're, you got to, understand what they are, but you got to make it an active dialogue. You got to, you know, constantly be, be referencing them when you start to talk about a decision, 
put that in the context of the values of the firm. You know, what, why are we doing this? Why are we choosing not to do that? You know, and we got tested so many times through the last, you know, 12 or 13 months with the pandemic is all of a sudden it's like, okay, how are you going to react to this? There isn't a playbook, you know? And so you find yourself in, you know, very compressed periods of time under pretty remarkable amount of stress having to make decisions. And if you haven't, um, if you haven't spent the time on the values so that they're real and they're actually purposeful and guiding, you know, that's where I think folks can fall into trouble. Cause like you said, at the end of the day, you get to as, you know, you, you get to a scale where it's like you, you can't and nor should you be involved in every decision. What you should be doing is being sure that leaders all the way through the organization are kind of marching to the same beat around the values that you have. So that's, you know, that's a huge, huge piece of it. And then, um, yeah, you got to trust and delegate, make sure that you got the right folks on the team, you know, and, and sometimes, uh, and I, I found this in my career, it's very infrequently it's a bad person. It's just not a good fit. So you're trying to fit, you know, what you're trying to accomplish from an organization, the required skills, and then most critically what that value set are. And if you've got all those things lined up, you know, you can grow and you can accomplish some pretty remarkable things. But if those get out of whack, uh, you're going to spend a lot of time kind of going back and fixing and retreading instead of growing. Absolutely. And that is part, I think it's an amazing thing because like you said, the value piece, I guess, kind of blends in, right? Like you guys are in a very competitive disability life insurance kind of category where you have mm -hmm. major competitors, right? Huge companies like Prudential, Liberty Mutual, right? Like all these huge companies. And so in a day and age where people have, you know, an infinite really amount of choices kind of at their fingertips on a day-to-day -day basis, um, you know, things like branding and whatnot come in and probably to your, to your last point, maybe even value so that kind of what you guys are conveying to each other is also what, you know, Unum, the brand itself puts out. But um, talk to me about any of the, are there certain processes that you guys kind of work through? to, to pan down and to get to that point so that not only on a, you know, person to person leadership basis, people are on the same page, but how do you take that and transition that, uh, those values are kind of that concept to the brand that you try to convey to the public, what types of, you yeah. know, uh, processes do you use to get from A to B from that standpoint? It's a great question. So a few thoughts. So one is I see a very, rapid convergence um, on a number of fronts in and you know kind of old school maybe back to business school days you'd sort of think about okay your brand is your promise out to the marketplace and customers and then you have this thing over here which is like okay what's your value proposition to employees and then over here you might have okay what are you doing with the stakeholders in the community or with the environment and the reality is is these have come together almost so you, you just can't pull them apart and so who you are as a firm, again, has to be rooted in those values. And those values are going to show up in the you know, messaging that you're sending in the market, trying to add and strengthen client relationships. But they're also the same message that's going to go out to prospective employees that might be thinking about joining your firm or that are here and weighing options to go someplace else. I think the, the community has a lot to say. Um, I always think of it as like at UNOM, it's like the community grants us the right to operate. And we never take that for granted. And as soon as the community decides 
that we're not adding value and we're not the kind of citizen that makes you know Maine a better place to live. Um, you know that, that you know that, that opportunity, that privilege, you know, may go away. So you got to think about all these things um, coming together. And I think as leaders, you got to you know think about all those constituents as extremely important um, to success. It's not just about you know growing your earnings. Growing your earnings is important, right? You're you're the stewards of your investors' capital, but so is kind of your impact on. The environment and so is the service that you're delivering to customers and what you're doing to give employees great development opportunities and very fair compensation and benefits and livable wages so all these things kind of come together and it, to me it's like that's good because it's in, in a way it simplifies things shelby because if you're trying to show up and your priorities are here with this group and then they're a little different with this group and they're a little different with that group it gets really complicated really fast and today you know, with the speed of information in the digital world we live in, everybody knows everything. You can't, you know, you can't publish something over here and not expect it to get picked up uh, over there. So I think you got to have it rooted in who you are as a company, what you're trying to accomplish, your purpose, and what those values are. And then, you know, the other thing is you get to talk about it because, you know, when you think about your brand and reputation, what we're, we do, like you said, we do, um, employee benefits. So at the end of the day, we don't sell phones or real estate or anything tangible. At the end of the day, we sell promises. That's what we do. So you give us premiums, we hold those premiums. And then when someone of your employees gets sick or hurt, we're going to be there. And so it takes years to build the reputation that says we're going to do that exceptionally well. And it takes a very short period of time to ruin all that hard work. So I think being very disciplined about that and, and keeping that long-term lens is really important as well. Yeah. And on the long-term lens front, in terms of kind of projecting out and kind of moving things forward, obviously sticking with you know the brand and the values is key. The last year, as we mentioned, you know, the world has been a little bit shaken here with the whole COVID-19 situation, the pandemic businesses of all sizes, right? I know you guys were pivoting. We were pivoting, trying to adjust and adapt and hit that, hit that moving target that I think is always there in business, right? Like Mm. success is always a moving target, but obviously recently um, the last, you know, like you said, 12, 14 months, it's been even more so uh, the challenges that businesses face on a day-to-day basis are always there. Um, talk to me a little bit first about that. How do you guys kind of handle, you know, in normal times, right? 2019 and before, how do you guys kind of approach handling that moving target that is success for you? Um, Mm -hmm. And then let's go a little bit more and and talk on, you know, what has happened in the last 12 to 14 months to allow you guys to kind of transition. um, I don't want to say smoothly, right? Because it's, it's, it's real work, but how, what's allowed you to transition through that and as we were saying before the call, hopefully, you know, approaching a new normal, maybe as we see it on the back end. It's a great question. And, and just to give you a sense for the impacts, the pandemic, so looked at it about 54 weeks ago, not to be exact, but about 54 weeks ago in about a 48 hour period, we had to shift about 11,000 employees from being largely office-based um, across our footprint to work from home. Um, we did that while our volumes were fluctuating massively. So 
give you a sense. If you every day, if you listen to NPR, you pull up, you know, whatever your favorite news site is, it'll give you the number of COVID related deaths in the United States. So one out of every hundred of those deaths is a UNUM life insurance policyholder. So that is somebody that's working at a client company who's passed away due to COVID. And so we saw over the, in addition to that, we do um, short-term disability, which means people that are sick um, and leaves, you know, they're taking care of their family. They're not personally sick, but they're taking care of their family. We're there to make sure they can still make rent, that they can make their car payment. Um, and so what we saw was a, about a 60% increase in our claims coming through in the spring as we saw that first spike. And then we saw it again at the end of the year with the spike just after the holidays. That's crushing, you know, for us to have that kind of volume come through. And the amazing thing is that you had 11,000 people step up. And, you know, I got a note from a client just this morning that said they will never leave Unum. You know, they, they lost one of their employees, small business. And just the empathy and within days having a check in that person's hands to help with their, you know, help their family that, that's lost their primary um, breadwinner. And I think it happens when you, you got an organization that knows why they're on the planet. You know, we exist to be there to help the working world through life's moments. And we got tested over the last 12 or 13 months. And, you know, it comes through highest um, degree of satisfaction. We could have measured client satisfaction on a regular basis massive swings and volumes, everyone needing to go remote so much in our personal lives with schools dumping their kids out and you know, parents needing to become teachers, the stress that just comes from the uncertainty around this virus. And uh, because the values and the purpose were clear, I think, um, and we have amazing people, they were able to step up into it. So that's sort of us benefiting from from being in a reasonably good position coming into it and being able to handle something we didn't really, I don't think, have the business to be able to handle. Your second part of your question is, you know, I think we learned too, you know, so I don't think we'll end up with most people working five days from an office anymore. You know, I think we'll find our way, you know, what our employee surveys tell us is most people do want to spend time in the office, but they don't want to do it all week long and they've come to enjoy some of that flexibility of being able to be home um, to get a kid off the bus uh, or be home to take care of a parent or to deal with a repair to the house when someone's got to be there when the plumber's got to show up uh, maybe they have a longer commute and doing it two or three times a week it's a lot easier than doing it five so I, I think that's a that's a reality I think we'll also be able to source talent from different places you know um, Maine's awesome for a lot of things but you know, we need to increasingly get new skill sets and, and diversity into our workforce. And so being able to source from different um, places around the country based on, you know, kind of a remote work model, I think that's an opportunity for us. So I think there's things that we learned that we will take, you know, forward. And, and uh, I don't know that we ever get to normal, but uh, something closer to the new normal, I think it'll, it'll barely mark some of the things that we've learned along the way. Yeah. And I think on that same note, and maybe we've seen what you said, I think a lot of times the businesses that have come out successful and definitely not in every industry for sure, because, you know, legal and, and whatnot, you know, mm -hmm. kind of constraints have obviously changed the landscape in some industries. But 
I think to your point of kind of having the back end, the business built on the right qualities and, and kind of morals and values and being successful kind of allowed a lot of companies that, that made it through to hold on to a lot of those customers. Totally and while agree. they still maybe saw a hit, um, definitely allowed them to transition through. Uh, you know, in, in business, as we talked about, obviously is always changing, right? It is, you know, it's maybe not a pandemic, but business and success is a moving target. I think a lot of business owners get overwhelmed with trying to make changes, right? Mm -hmm. I think they're afraid it's going to disrupt their current business. So they don't want to do it. Maybe they're scared. They're concerned about that. But I also think successful business owners know that they must change, right? That success is a moving target. And for companies that didn't adapt during the pandemic, a lot of them struggled, right? Um, mm -hmm. What is one strategy that you would tell people to leave with uh, when they stop listening? Because we like to try to have people think from an action standpoint. What would you tell them or how could you help shift their mentality and kind of angle and approach during this time? What would you tell them to look at? Obviously, not knowing industry and size of the company and everything. How would you tell them and what would you tell them to kind of look at as far as, you know, adjusting during these challenging times? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. I don't have a magic formula, but, you know, a couple of things that um, come to mind. It can be it sort of relates to something we were talking about earlier. I, I was thinking about this, this is a few years ago now, anything you do interesting in business, anything, just stop and think for a second about how many individual decisions you have to make when you're pursuing that interesting thing. And I think you're quickly get into the dozens and hundreds actually, you know, am I going to advertise? Well, where, and what's the advertisement and what's the talent? How am I going to do it? And am I going to have a new challenge, a new location, whatever it might be. You know, that one move probably has a hundred sort of decisions you got to make. And what was empowering to me is just think about like, realistically, if I need to make a hundred decisions, how many am I going to get right? And, you know, I ask people that question all the time and some people say, oh, 50%. Some people say 80%. It depends on how confident they are in their decision-making ability. Nobody says a hundred, right? And I, for me, that's very empowering because it actually, I would argue, very infrequently makes a difference whether you got 60, 70, or 80% right. Really, the, well, the game is won by who learns the fastest, which were the right and which were the wrong. And I think once you accept that as a premise, that there will be a good number of decisions that you make, no matter what path you take, that will be wrong. It, it kind of, um, I found it very empowering. And then it, it does two things. It's like, okay, let's just go do this, number one. And then number two, and maybe this is a sort of a tactical tip, is I find it's really helpful to say, before you go, like I've got these decisions, we're going to go, write down on a piece of paper what you're going to see if you're successful and do it in advance and then put it in the drawer. And what I've found over time is that when you personally make decisions, you have this confirmation bias that no matter what happens, you kind of hold on to that idea and you try to make it work, you try to make it work, and you try to make it work way longer than you should. If you've written it down in advance, it's easier to be objective and honest with yourself and say, okay, I said within a month I'd be seeing X, I'm not seeing it. Doesn't mean that you're going to reverse the decision, but it gives you that moment of pause to go back and say, hey, remember, 
I knew there was going to be bad decisions in here. This is probably one of them. I got to pivot. I got to make a change. So be empowered. Recognize the game is more about not being right every time. It's just learning quickest what's right and wrong and then be objective before you go down the path around what success would look like in a measurable way and, and pivot based on what comes out. Love that. Great, great advice for business and probably life as well. Um, all right, Mike, we're going to hit you with the uh, rapid fire questions. We've got a few questions. First thing that comes to mind when we ask them, um, and then we'll wrap it up after that. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Would you rather read a book or watch the movie first? Read the book. Okay. Favorite day of the week? Saturday. Favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. What job would you not be good at? Oh, God, so many. So many. Um, <laughs> I would say I would not be good at anything that required skill and dexterity with my hands. So I would say carpenter. Absolutely brutal. Okay. Uh, last one. If you were stranded on a deserted also surgeon, Shelby. <laughs> if ever you're like, I need an emergency tracheotomy. Do not call me. I will. I will promise. not put you on speed dial. There you go. Um, last one. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what is one thing you would want to have? Well, if I could move beyond thing, I mean, the one thing would be my my wife and partner Ruby, who I've been with for coming up 26 years now and every good thing about my life if you trace it back she's at the root of it so if i could go from thing to person i would say uh i would say ruby if it's a thing that i would say like an iphone with really good wi-fi so i could facetime and get her advice two good answers i like that um awesome mike we appreciate you taking the time out anything you want to leave in closing if not we'll uh make sure to throw people throw details at people so they can check you, check you and them out um, and find out any more information, but anything you want to add? No, I appreciate you including me. I think it's a really cool idea getting people together and just kind of share some of their experiences. I mean, I've listened to a couple of yours and look forward to listening to some more down the road. I, ha I have found over my career and in particular in the last 12 or 14 months, this is an awesome community of awesome people and just exceptionally interested in helping um, and supporting one another. So I feel very, very fortunate to be here in the in the Portland, Maine uh, area and uh, have the chance to work with people like you. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take the time to leave us a review as it helps us connect with more like-minded people just like yourself. For more information on the show, its guests, or to listen to more podcasts, make sure to check us out on iTunes at Portland Maine Business Podcast, as well as online at PortlandMainBusinessPodcast.com.